Uh, yeah, we're in a series on the book of Proverbs. Hi, Brad. Huh? Somebody said, hi, Brad. Oh, someone said, who said, hi, Brad? <laughs> hi. <laughs> hi. Uh, and, and today we're talking about marriage. Yeah, and you want to introduce your own self? Yes, I do. Um, I'm Mirella. I'm married to him. And, yeah, we're going to be talking about marriage. But first, we have a disclaimer, because a lot of times... Uh, When we hear about a sermon on marriage, there can be a tendency from those of us who are not married to think, well, great, here's another reminder of something that I don't have. Or we we can also think, well, I'm I'm not married. How how can this apply to my life, right? Um, But the truth is, if the Bible speaks about marriage and the relationship between the church and Christ is displayed in a marriage relationship, then um, sermons on marriage are supposed to apply to every person in the body of Christ. Um, The church, the body of Christ, is diverse in the fact that we are all in different walks of life, and we image God differently, but we image him equally. So we have a lot to learn from each other and grow in wisdom with one another, even in topics that we might not necessarily have a personal experience in. Um, Because we belong to Jesus, right, through him... We belong to each other, and we can look at him to grow in wisdom as we love one another. So um, do you have to to be a parent to care for another parent? I'm a parent, and I can say no. I've had people who don't have kids care for me very well as a parent, and I'm super grateful for that. So you can also pose the question, do you have to be a spouse to care for somebody else's marriage? And the answer is no, you don't. Um, We all have the Spirit, and through Him, every one of us that is a fool can be made wise and and speak into uh, the lives of one another. Yeah, and I, yeah, I think that's even as we started this series on Hebrews or Proverbs. That was a while ago. Hebrews. <laughs> uh, I'm not used to like being able to think so much. <laughs> it's normally unthinking. Anyway, uh, when we started this series on preview, Proverbs, you might have uh, remembered Tripp said that that you don't have to like wisdom doesn't come from someone who's necessarily ahead of you and has the exact same situation that you have, but wisdom actually comes from fearing the Lord. And so our hope would actually be that we would all be able to speak into each other's uh, marriages, and even if we're not married, be able to say and come and say, this isn't okay, Uh, or you're doing really great. That can happen too. But for us, about uh, five years ago, five years into our marriage, our halfway point, uh, we had people that were observing our lives, who lived close with us in community, who set us down and had this pretty uh, radical intervention where they said, what is happening between you two? is not good. Uh, I can remember it vividly in the living room, and all I really wanted to do in that moment was pull out my phone and look at some email or sports score or something because it was just so shocking to me that people who had seen us would say, your marriage is not okay. Like, what's happening, the way you operate together is not good. Uh, up until that point, we had actually, I thought, you know, we'd like survive some trials and circumstances. You know, everyone says the first year of marriage is hard, 
Uh, and we're, we're one of those people that, that experience that. I think a month into our... First and second and third. Third and fourth, fourth and, fifth. and fifth. Yeah. Uh, they, were, they were all just like the, the hardest. Uh, a month into our so marriage... Far. <laughs> so far. We'll see uh, how I guess. A month in, we thought, I don't know if we're going to like make it to the end of that like next month. Uh, it was that, uh, not to be super dramatic, but we were the sort of people, uh, sort of couple even before we got married, that on our engagement day, when I had planned all this stuff, we had a huge fight, uh, and that was normal. So it wasn't like, oh man, we had a big fight, maybe our relationship is not, you know, going well. It was like, well, this is like a normal Tuesday. We're just going to get engaged at the end of it. Uh, <laughs> which was fun. Uh, we still got engaged. And we so. still got engaged. We had this sort of deep commitment for one another. But on our wedding day, you know, some people will say, oh, well, I married my best friend. I'm like, I'm so excited to just marry that person. I think we looked and at each other. that's great if that's, that's cool you. if that's you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we just were not those people. I... I mean, I can think of a few people who were my best friends. Yeah, we were both like, well, we've got these you. people that are higher on the rankings. Yeah. Uh, but we got married anyway. The service was really beautiful. Was the wedding, was like, awesome. people still tell us it was their best wedding they've ever been to. Uh, reception was okay. The reception ran out of food, which was a sign of things to come. <laughs> but... <laughs> <laughs> that was funny. No, uh, on, but in year five, we had already moved a, across the country. We had started uh, a church with other people. We had seen people like come to faith in Jesus. We had equipped people, people in our home all the time, and we were discipling people. I, you know, it's and all the outward stuff. You might say, well, like there's like an amazing like group of people. But the reality on the inside was we were really good teammates and partners, but we had uh, very little unity and actual affection for one another, like a, a desiring of not just sexual attraction, but just uh, I'm going to think of her and care about her uh, and choose to love her. It was more of uh, just going through life with all of these little projects uh, and so when the people, uh, our friends, told us that, we sat back and we reflected and we actually went and sat, uh, we're waiting to go to a restaurant in Portland, which is always what you do is you wait to go to a restaurant in Portland, okay. daily life. And we, we sat down and after this sort of uh, intervention and we were having a date, but we were talking to one another and Mirella said, well, you know, I don't think we've ever had a good season in our marriage. And I was like, well, surely there have been good days. And then as we thought about it, we thought, well, there have been some good moments. Like, we had a child in that period, so uh, Nora was born in that. And Mo Nora was actually, uh, yeah, if there's anything wrong with her, uh, which we know there is, there's a lot that has to do with the environment that she was raised in her first year of life. Um, and so we ended up going and talking to our community. We sat down with them, who we had led, and we said, our marriage is not okay. These people said so. We agree, and we're going to start doing counseling. And we also want you to care for us in that and pay for it. 
And so our community paid for our counseling. As we went into the counseling, I thought, well, this is great. Like, I'm a pastor. I know Greek and Hebrew. Uh, I know the Bible really well. People listen to me. Uh, we're probably going to get, like, a nice tune-up, you know? Like, our oil is running out. We need, like, to refresh that thing. And then we'll be on our way. Like, maybe two or three, four max meetings. Maybe for four months we'll do counseling. Uh, we shared where we were at, and the counselor said, wow, uh, this is kind of serious. So I want you to come back next week, and I think you should just block off every Thursday for a while. And so I was like, oh, wow. And we did that. We, we sort of trudged through this year long going and getting counseling every week, uh, leaving in tears and doing all of this hard Work And not to say that our marriage is now really beautiful or wonderful uh, and without problems. This week of preparing was really hard. Uh, that's normally Good how trial. it is. Yeah. But one of the things we deeply began to learn and recognize was just uh, my own shame and uh, your own shame, your own sense of guilt, self-righteousness and pride. And it wasn't the sinister things of like, well, you know, there's this big dramatic moment that happened of, uh, I don't know, crazy like sexual sin or something. But it was actually the more sinister things of uh, our affections were just elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Our desires were just elsewhere. Uh, and we weren't for one another mm-hmm. as much as we were for the things that we were accomplishing. And that through the years, we had all of this lack of forgiveness and bitterness. We actually resolved all of our fights where I would just say, yeah, everything was my fault because I just wanted to move on. And I would say, yeah, that's right. That's it is your fault. That's right. And it sounds funny, yeah. but it's really... Um, for my own heart because that never forced me to go to the foot of the cross. Mm-hmm. Foot of the cross. Yes. And to say, Jesus, I, I've wronged him. Mm-hmm. Forgive me. And so um, that was very distorted in our relationship. Yeah. And that's something that in, in our partnership, it worked out great because Brad, he was like, I can be the hero. I'm all about that. I'll do it all. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yes, please be my hero. Yeah. Um, but he's a terrible hero. Yeah. That's, it's really true. That's yeah. Scary. And in my head, I kept thinking, well, one day she's going to admit that she's really wrong. And that and would be like, part of this, like, no, well. I'm never wrong. Yeah. She's and always she's perfect. She's awful. And so we, and I should not so be smiling th- as I say this. <laughs> <laughs> After that year uh, of counseling, and even through that, one of the things we realized is how wonderful Jesus actually is mm-hmm. and how good he is. But we also began to realize and learn that marriage is a very good thing. Uh, it's not a uh, cheaper you know, discount on housing, kind of taxes sort of thing. Uh, it's not a, a good way to build a budget. It's like a very rich, good thing that God gives us, uh, probably the worst of us, so that we can actually learn what he is like and, and to actually receive the good news of Jesus. Yeah, and we share our story not to, this is not about us, right? This is about who Christ is. And so um, that's, that's why Brad decided to share our story, because as God works in our lives, he uses everything, including our marriages, to bring us closer to him. So, um, and yeah, like he said, one of the things we're, we are still learning, we've been married for 10 years, and um, is that marriage is good. And if you would have asked me that six years ago, I would have been like, you're crazy. Um, There's no way this is good. Um, But, yeah, 
and 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 the the reason I can say that is because of what God has done in my in my life, uh, not how He has changed Brad and made him a better person, but how, what He has done in my heart. So, um, and even Proverbs says the exact same thing. We're talking about Proverbs, and Proverbs uh, chapter eighteen, verse twenty-two. It says, "He who finds a wife um, finds what is good and receives favor from the Lord." And Proverbs 12, verse 4 says, A wife of noble character is her husband's crown, but a disgraceful wife is like decay in his bones. Um, So yeah, marriage is something that God uses, just like he uses everything else in our life. Our friends, our work, our relationships, our circumstances to change us and to bring us closer to him. To to take us to the foot of the cross, like he did did for me. while I try to look at, while while I try to look at Brad for a savior. So, because if you think about marriage, um, let's get the, all the romance out of it. Just think about this: you have two human beings that come from completely different walks of life, or maybe the same. Maybe you grew up in the same neighborhood. Regardless, you're not the same person. And on one day specifically, you're saying, "Let's weave our lives together for the rest of our lives." Till death do us part, right? That's usually where the vows go. That is crazy, okay? It is a crazy thought. It's crazy to say I do to that. Sorry, Kyle and um, Abby. <laughs> but just so you know, <laughs> it's kind of crazy. It's, it, is, it is crazy because, because we're so broken, right? We are so broken. We do not need to talk to another human being to realize that. We look just a little bit inside ourselves, we see our brokenness. And we're saying, hey, other broken person, let's do this together. We're going to rock it. Um, so that, to me, <laughs> is, um, yeah, it's a challenge in itself. And most of our attention um, is spent on getting to the wedding day, right? Our culture is, we get so excited preparing everything, celebrating, and the party, the place, the food. Our culture in itself loves that stuff, too. Um, And I was told that when you study Shakespeare, I didn't go to school here, but um, you usually stop at Act 3, which is when they, like, fall in love. But then Act 4 and 5 is, like, conflicts and wars and trials. That's the real life. That is the stuff you do not see um, after the happily ever after, right? So... We are consumed to getting to the wedding, but not necessarily um, thinking about the long haul of things. Living life together until the grave. Saying yes every day to this broken person that's next to us. So for those of us who think that we know the person that we're married to, um, or that we have been married to, um, you will change. The person you're married to will change. Um, I would love to hear from the Maynards, like, how much you've changed, <laughs> because <laughs> I, I'm sure that has happened. And circumstances of your life will change, too. I know for us, we have changed tremendously, um, and God has changed our, our hearts. So the question, the question we must always ask is, how do we remain committed and love steadfastly in the midst of it all? Because it will not all be um, the wedding day every day, Right? Um, and then how, how do we get there? How do we get to, to the grave together? Um, and what do all those years of faithfulness look like? So that's, that's where we're going to try to 
understand today through Proverbs 5. Yeah, so in Proverbs chapter 5, we get uh, sort of a classic chapter on the book uh, on marriage in Proverbs. One of the interesting things about Proverbs and marriage is if you search through it, you'll find the two verses that Mirella read before, which are super not like PC today. Like, find a good wife. She's like a crown. Find a bad wife. She'll decay your bones. Like, but... Uh, but Proverbs 5 is actually really typical for any sort of discussion about marriage in the book of Proverbs. And the way, and the way that it's really typical is that it's actually about a warning uh, against adultery, about having your heart or your eyes look elsewhere, about turning away from your marriage itself. And so let me just read the first 14 verses for us as we dive into the text. Uh, Proverbs 5, 1 says, My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding, that you may keep discretion, and your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life, her ways wander, and she does not know it. And now, O sons, listen to me, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her, and do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your honor to others, and your years to the merciless, lest strangers or foreigners take their fill of your strength, and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. And at the end of your life, you groan when your flesh and your body are consumed. And you say, how I hated discipline and my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. I am on the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. So, uh, yeah, Kyle, Hannah, you should do that at your wedding, you know, if you want someone to read something that's really spicy for your wedding, go for that. Um, or for you, Juan and Emily, that'd be great too. Uh, all the many people in our body that are getting married, that are deciding to do this. But what's interesting about this passage is uh, it's, it's similar to many others where it's a father talking to his sons and, and explaining to them how the world works. And it launches off by saying, uh, do not uh, go to the thing that looks sweet or wonderful. Hmm. Uh, do not uh, fall into this cheating on your marriage itself. And, it, and he describes how, uh, yeah, when you're in a marriage and you're committed to someone, it's going to look so much easier, uh, and the people outside of it are so sweet and so kind, and their words are so cool, and their fashion sense is so wonderful, and all of the stuff outside of it that you can just sort of go and consume and follow is really easy. And that's just a reality of relationships. The relationships you have with people that are, where there's no commitment are the easy relationships. Like you probably hang out with people all the time who are just like your coworkers, but your coworkers are the ones that drive you nuts because you're committed to a task together, right? The same is true in marriage, that you're committed to one another. Uh, all the, you're probably around some people similar to that person like you were when you dated and you thought they were wonderful and great. But then in the, in the space of the commitment and the struggle, it's so much easier just to wander somewhere else. And I think that's just a reality that we don't discuss much in the church. That the, that the temptation to cheat and to run away or to go to somebody else 
uh, in your marriage for the intimacy and the relationship that you should have in marriage, you go somewhere else. That's like an easy temptation. We all pretend like, well, no, that's not for me. But it actually very much is the temptation. And here uh, in verse 5, he describes what happens if we go to the one whose, whose speech is smoother than oil. It says that, that her feet lead down, this, this uh, adultery leads down to death, and the steps follow to a path of Sheol, which is hell. And then at the very end of the passage that I read in verses 12, 13, and 14, it describes a person at their end of their life publicly humiliated, decaying, exhausted, uh, done, and beat because they've been uh, wandering elsewhere. Uh, and, and the reality there is that uh, our lives are not meant for that. So here the wisdom is, Marriage is actually an exclusive, faithful relationship. And and there's an exclusive faithfulness to it. That's what marriage is. That's not rocket science, or sorry, brand new information, right? Like, oh, marriage is supposed to be faithful. But it's worth saying, right? It's worth understanding. It's worth hearing that marriage is for the people in it only. Uh, And that our, our attention shouldn't be wandering elsewhere, but should be focused actually within it. And so uh, the Proverbs actually begin with that. Do not commit adultery. Yeah, and a wandering heart towards things that there's no commitment to, that won't fill you up, that are like the lips of a forbidden woman that drip with honey. Um, Honey's sweet and tastes good, um, but um, it, is, it, it, it will not give you that everlasting satisfaction. That That's what... Um, yeah, we're talking about. So also when you start getting consumed with other things or giving yourself to strangers and those strangers can be honestly any, any person or thing that you decide to have space and authority in your life that perhaps only your spouse should, should have that access to. Um, and I'm not talking about having sex. I think, I think the, the having sex part is the by the time you get there, your entire heart is already given to somebody else. The the physical thing is just the final consummation of what's going on inside of you. So um, even Proverbs 6, verse 25 and 26 says um, this about the adulterous woman. Do not desire her beauty in your heart and do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. So the eye, just just that first glimpse. Um for the price of a prostitute is only a loaf of bread, but a married woman hunts down a precious life. Yeah, so we start we start drifting towards things that bring us wasted years uh, that that's that does not fulfill that bring this momentary satisfaction that might taste like honey right now, but in the long long haul it will be bitter as a wormwood, and that that is what Proverbs five was, Proverbs five was also saying. Yeah, so it's not just uh, classic adultery, maybe, but it's actually uh, we give ourselves to things outside of our marriage. For me, in our relationship, it was uh, that I would think about and have ideas and problem solve and consider all of these other people 
uh, within our church, within our community, within our neighborhood, their needs, their problems, their issues were top on my mind and on my list of things to like resolve and to pursue, even to pray about. Uh, also, uh, athletes that do not know me or care about me, I would pursue and care. Like I care about who moves to Los Angeles this summer to play for the Lakers and they don't care about me. Yet I would give myself, my mind and my energy. We only have so much of it, right? Mm-hmm. Like outside of our working hours and the pain of like raising children or the joy of raising children. That's for next week. Uh, <laughs> we only have so much. And I think what it's describing here, especially in verses uh, 7 through 10, which Mirala was just talking about, is where we uh, give our years to the merciless. We give ourselves to the things that do not, in return, love us. And they're not even the, th- the, the primary thing. So this first section of Proverbs is saying, uh, resist uh, your wandering heart towards other things. But uh, it's not just about that, right? So that would be kind of a bummer, I think, if marriage is resisting. You know, defense mode. Defense mode. Uh, which I think, honestly, that was like, that was where I found myself thinking, mm. okay, our marriage is in trouble. I'm just going to resist these other things. I'm going to delete apps off of my phone. I'm going to have rigid hours when I think about the church and when I don't think about the church and when I think about sports and when I don't. And when I think about music, I thought about a lot of things. Yeah, and I think just with that, too, we can become very legalistic as we're trying to make things work. When and as a warning, church, as we, as if you find yourself thinking, oh, I need to do this, not do that, do this, not do that, maybe try to stop and ask the Lord to search your heart, um, because there's probably something there that that needs to be changed and transformed more than all the laws that we try to put into how do we behave or what do we do. That's good. Some some sometimes it's good. I'm not saying like just do whatever you want. I'm saying there's a balance. So that. Yeah, if, if, you, if you find yourself trying to live that way every day of your life, maybe take a break and step back and ask the Lord to show you what's really going on inside your heart with that. That's really good. Yeah. And so then uh, the Proverbs, uh, Proverbs 5 doesn't end in verse 14, but it continues. Uh, in verse 15, it says, drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets? Let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. Uh, Just a PSA warning. It's about to get steamy. Uh, In verse 19, it says, uh, Rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breast fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Uh, See, here uh, you might be wondering, like, what does water have to do with marriage? You guys know what the last part has to do with marriage. But what does water have to do with marriage? What is all this talk about cisterns and springs and all of that? It's water throughout all of the Old Testament and into the New Testament is about the source of life. Like, where do you go for life? Uh, Where do you go for meaning and for joy and for satisfaction and for comfort? And here he's saying, drink from your own cistern. Drink from your well and don't drink from the well that's shared with all of these other people. Don't look for life all over the place in the streets. Look for life and pursue it and treasure it 
uh, within your marriage. Uh, and I think that we might the, the idea of water could be lost on us because we can open up a faucet anywhere in Los Angeles and drink water uh, that will just kill us eventually and not kill us today. Uh, but it's, there's lots of access to it. Here, to have a well and to have water was something that you would cherish and protect. That if you had land with your own cistern, uh, your own place, your own well to draw places from, you were by far a blessed family to have access to that sort of life-giving thing that we all need. And so here he's saying, in your marriage, treasure it like that. And then in verses uh, 19 and 20, he talks about this deep delight. That, that we would love the, the wife of our youth, our spouse from young, uh, from our youth, that we would look at them as a lovely deer, a graceful doe, that, that their bodies would actually bring us delight at all times, that we would find them attractive and worthwhile, that we would see our spouse and not think, well, if only they could fix these bits about them, uh, but we would actually look at our spouse and say, wow, what a person that I get to be married to, that we would actually see them as, as the way even God sees them, as this miraculous, miraculous image of God that was crafted and formed with a personality and a story and gifts and abilities, that we would just look at them and say, wow, like this is quite the person, um, that we would treasure them that way, and that it would also, uh, just side note, be a, a, a relationship with sexual intimacy, that we would be intoxicated always with our love for them. And, and what's really wonderful about this is that it's not one of those passages where it's like, yeah, make your wife have sex with you. Like, FYI, there aren't any of those passages. That's not in the Bible. Uh, but it's saying, for you as a husband, commit yourself. Choose within yourself an attraction and a pursuing and a longing for your bride. And the same is true, I, I believe, for wives as well. But I'm a man, so for that's sure. how I had to talk Definitely. about it. Definitely. The same goes for us. Um, as we, as we, it's a daily choice, a momentary choice, an hourly choice, too, to look at our husbands and to say, I choose you um, over somebody else. Uh, thinking of marriage as the living happily ever after, but really, uh, when we say, I do, uh, we're, we're, stay, we're saying that for days of of extreme joy and celebration, like when, when Nora was born for us, um, but, but also days of sadness and hardships, uh, which we've had many of those, too. Um, we also say yes, and I do, to days when we have a lot of anxiety of what's to come, mm-hmm. but, but we're, we're together in it. And, and then we also say I do in, in days of peace and rest and trust. Um, we, we tend to think as, as believers that we, we should have it figured out, but, but we're on a journey, right? We're, we're walking life together. We're not there yet. We're still here on earth. So. Yeah. Can I interrupt just a second? Yes. Yeah, so uh, even to go back to my own story, uh, that was something that was just super common in our relationship before counseling was I thought in my head, I had a running list in my head of things that would just be great if she improved in. Like, I, that was the dominant thing. So I thought about other people. It's just honesty. We've oh, yeah. talked about this for a year in counseling. Uh, 
And, and we would think, oh, well, you know, I wish she could do this better or that better or that she has this attitude problem in these certain areas. If we could just tweak that attitude or, or why does she get worried about these things? And so as a, as a good husband, I thought my job was to uh, coach her up, to like train her how to do all these things. To like, well, huh? said thanks dad yeah yeah like uh man you know and i thought well this is spiritual leadership like this is what it means to be like a husband as i go and i just like tell her uh how to be better as a human the way that i want her to be better and that was one of the i think hopefully uh, a profound shift that happened i can remember our counselor just saying hey how about you sit next to her and put your arm around her and just touch each other. And we were both like, like we are just like, this is so awkward. Like, I don't, we don't want to do that. Um, but there was a, a decision that had to be made in my own heart to say, wow, like, I love her as she is. And I love her when she's anxious, when she's happy, when she has the same opinion as me, when she has a different opinion than me. I love her, period. And I'm not trying to, she's not like my DIY project. Yeah. And that's, I think, what it means to treasure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, even thinking about treasuring and sickness and health, I was, as we were preparing this, I was thinking about um, what does that mean? And the day-to-day of the, the daily grind of life asks us to be, um, be for the person, be, be with the person, whether they're super excited or not about their day. And I think about my uncle. I... I have an uncle that had a really bad car accident about two and a half years ago, and that put him in a coma and took him quite a while to recover and and actually go home. Um, And he and his wife were beginning to enjoy their first years of retirement with two adult children, and um, he had this this crazy car accident. Um, Finally, they were able to go home and... um, He's home right now, but he's still in bed. He doesn't really talk. He can't walk. He's lost a lot of weight. He definitely does not look like the same person my aunt married 30-plus um, years ago. Uh, but she, she's standing next to him. She's caring for him. She is loving him. She um, takes care of all of his medicine when he has to go to the hospital. She's there with him when um, he needs to get a haircut. She cuts his hair. When um, her kids are traveling, they're like, "Come, Mom, come with us. And she's like, I don't know. I want to make sure your dad's okay. And for me, that is such a beautiful picture of being being with each other in sickness and in health. Um, and um, to be to be faithful, you know, they, it's been two and a half years, and they grieve the loss of, of, or I would say she grieves. I, I'm not sure my uncle has any understanding of what's going on, but she really grieves all that has happened, and um, even for the rest of my family, that is so touching because my uncle has many siblings, and 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 yet his wife is the one that's there, committed daily to him. And that, that, to me, is such a beautiful picture of treasuring each other in, in sickness and in health. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the, there's that the choice to treasure doesn't have to be reciprocal. I think that's probably one of the hardest parts of marriage uh, is that you can choose to be vulnerable and to put yourself out there and to care and to love your spouse, and they could be terrible anyway. 
uh, in terms of they, they could continue to be closed off relationally. They could continue to be uh, absent-minded. Uh, they might not turn around and give you all of the affection and the compliments that you probably deserve, but that you would choose, just like your aunt and your uncle, to say, no, he can't give me any compliments right now, but I'll choose to do that. And it's uh, hard yeah. for her, definitely. She has many, many hard days. Yeah. And then as well, uh, treasuring, I think, means in suffering and in celebration mm-hmm. uh, alongside that. that uh, for us, whenever Mirella's mom passed away, I had to learn that to treasure her meant to be present with her, to simply show up uh, with her, to, to sit by her side, to lay down next to her, uh, and that we would, we would walk through life that way. And even through many sufferings since then, uh, it wasn't how can I resolve the problem, which was probably my former self, but in Christ, uh, the desire is just to be a presence with her. And that's also in celebration, when things are really awesome and really good. We've had children and we've had successes. Things have gone our way a bunch, and we get to celebrate by being with that person, which often I think just means... Uh, Showing affection at times, uh, it means asking really good questions. It means drawing out the heart. Like, how do you actually feel about this thing that's really good? How do you feel about this thing that's really hard? And to pursue the other person is to, I think, that means to be intoxicated always in love. Yes, and um, the last thing also we were thinking about with this is treasuring each other in moments of peace and moments of war. Um, And that looks like, for us as we're thinking about this being for the marriage being for the relationship fight for the relationship because as we've been sharing it's not you know it's not always like the wedding day uh life after the wedding day is real life and it's not it's it's we're broken people living in a broken world it's hard so um yeah right now even as you as you can think about couples and families that you have known your entire life and then you know that they have gone through very difficult seasons in their marriage you know that it hasn't always been great and perfect and happy and joyful. Um, and, and you look at them and you say, these people love each other still. That's kind of crazy. Um, and my guess is that if you would sit down and talk to them, they would probably say, we love each other more deeply today than we did 40-plus years ago um, through the trials and the, and the, and the successes. I mean, we, we have been in Los Angeles for almost a year and I, I've had a chance to hear um, some, some of y'all's stories, but and I, I don't know everybody's, but I can, I can look in this room, and I will not look at the people, but I can look in this room, and, and I, can, I, can, I can see couples that have gone through really hard days and months just this past year that we've been here and how they are still fighting for, for the marriage. Does it look like it did when they first said, I do? No. He doesn't, but they're still they're still fighting for it, and and, and the the only reason that I can think of why you would do that, why you would remain steadfast, is is because um, these these people, these warriors of life, have have looked at Jesus and have said, okay, he's steadfast, I I can be steadfast in him. And, and I believe that is the only way we are married. That is the only reason we are married, is um, for me how, how God changed my heart. Um, I, not that I think Brad is way more awesome today than I did 10 years ago, 
Um, if you've been around me, you you know that I, I don't think that about him. I probably make a lot of fun of him more than anything, um, which is good for his ego. He really is. Um, but um, but my love for him is definitely deeper than it was 10 years ago. Um, and, and the reason is because of who God is. Because Brad is still broken. He's still, I'm still broken. We're trying to figure this thing out. Um, Robin has experienced one of our, like, bickerings, and she's like, I just got, like, an inside scoop on this <laughs> life. And I'm like, yeah, welcome. We, yeah. we don't hide very well, so sorry. Um, but, but the reason is, is because of, of what Jesus has done in our lives. And, and I think the same. I mean, we've only been in this for 10 years. So um, as you think of the people that have been in this for a much longer haul, um, there's a steadfastness that says, we're committed to this. We're saying yes to this every day. And that, that is a gift that only, only comes from God. There's, I don't think there's another place for that. Yeah, that's, oh, that's really good and sweet of you to say about me. Sure. <laughs> but I'm, uh, I, I can remember uh, at the end of, our, or end of one of our counseling sessions, we were parked in front of our house, and we didn't want to go back in. And it was in the first couple months, and I was hitting my head against the steering wheel, like a romantic comedy kind of like <laughs> moment of just like, I don't know how to change enough. Like, do I need to like become an extrovert instead of an introvert? Do I need to like change into like the kind of person who doesn't care about this, who doesn't want to solve problems, who doesn't like, like what do I need to do? And also I think coming to the end of myself because I thought, as we've already read, well, this is marriage. Like, everything we've said today, you know, you could find out there. Like, marriage is like exclusive faithfulness, and you've got to pursue and treasure your spouse. Like, that's, like, not new information at all. We all know that. Every mar- premarital counseling, that's, like, what they're going to tell you. The, the information, though, is actually not the problem. Uh, I can remember, like, thinking about what a marriage really was supposed to be about, uh, and then just realizing, even this week realizing, man, I do not do marriage, like, well. Sometimes I don't even do it, like, period. Like, I just, it's contractually true, uh, but it's not uh, real in this sense that it's talking about in the Bible. Uh, of a husband and a wife pursuing one another and being united and all of that. And how wonderful would that be, but in reality, it's, I don't live that way. Right? Does any, am I the only one? And this is what it says in verse 20, the last four verses of this chapter. It says, Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him. He is held fast in the cords of his sin, and he dies for lack of discipline. And because of his great folly, he is led astray. Here it ends, this chapter on marriage actually ends with this sort of poignant little phrase about when we don't do these things, when we're not disciplined, it's not just a screwing up. Like you don't get on the all-star list of marriage. Uh, We've never made the all-star team in marriage. Uh, It's not that this is like A-plus marriage. He's actually saying... If we do not do these things, the iniquities of the wicked ensnare us, 
and we are held fast in the cords of his sin. Uh, the old ball and chain joke is like the, the, the ball and the chain is our own sin attached to us mm-hmm. that we keep bringing in and out of our marriage. And he talks about it uh, leading to death, for he will die for lack of discipline. I think this is, um, to me, the biggest eye-opening thing for, for me thinking about marriage is when I fail as a husband, I'm sinning. Like I'm sinning against God and the the image of God that she is supposed to be, the commitments that I've said I was going to do, and it will lead to my death. Like that, that this is what we do in our marriage is so wrong whenever we choose to pursue other things and give our minds and affections to other things, or when we do not treasure our spouse, we're actually committing sins that require death. Pretty like hard news. I would say that that me in that car as I was I was finally being confronted with the reality that my heart is so wicked I'm so ensnared there's there's really no way forward for me uh, the the sins that I've even committed in my marriage lead to my own death and somebody somewhere has to rescue us mm-hmm. and that the only way forward actually is Jesus. Um, the perfect room that we all long for. Uh, This metaphor is used throughout all of the New Testament about Jesus being the groom, uh, the perfect groom, and that we, the the body of Christ, the people of God, are the bride. Uh, That we are the bride that comes down uh, looking exactly like the first uh, 14 verses of chapter 5. We come walking to Jesus as this unfaithful uh, body, uh, this unfaithful bride that's willing to give ourselves to anybody. That we're, we're willing to have our hearts wander. We're willing to look for water anywhere that we can find it. We're, we're, not, uh, we're not faithful. Actually, it becomes true. We're in the Proverbs 12.4 that Miralla read in the beginning. We're actually the, the dishonored woman who's wicked and, and it requires a decaying of sins. We are, as the church, as the people of God, that's who we are. We are decaying humanity that bring all sorts of pain. But, but Jesus, in the gospel, in his life, his death, and his resurrection, flips that whole verse. Uh, Proverbs 12.4 says, you know, uh, an honorable woman is like this crown jewel, uh, but a dishonorable woman leads to death. Jesus actually says, yes. You are a disgraceful spouse. And your bones will decay. He says, you are my disgraceful spouse and I will die for you. I will have my bones decay instead of your bones. You're a disgraceful spouse, but he will make us a crown through his own dying bones. That instead of death that we, per, that we really deserve for the way that we live as married people, we actually receive life. That, that Jesus actually does all of this stuff. He's the one who's unendingly faithful to us. Uh, pursuing a reconciliation for us and for all humanity to restore us in complete wonderful glory. He does that and is dedicated to that every day and every moment of eternity. He's pursuing that. 
That's what he's all about. And that he is that same uh, life-giving source of water that he freely gives to us. But he's also the groom who looks to the church, who looks to you, just to make it more personal, and says, I am intoxicated with my love for them. That's what John 3.16 is really all about. For God so loved, that so loved piece is actually like this lavish kind of love, like pouring syrup for hours on your pancakes, just overflowing kind of love. God so loves you like that, uh, that he sends his son, and whoever believes has life or has living water that satisfies forever. Jesus actually does that treasuring and pursuing of us. He is the perfect spouse, the perfect groom. And then in the end of the story, in Revelation chapter 19, what we see is this song in verse 7 of the, the final day of the wedding, that all of hu- humanity is actually on this course, not to, you know, total disruption and annihilation, hopefully not. Uh, I don't think it is because of the Bible, but it ends actually in this amazing wedding. The, the, the arc of human history. And it, and it describes this marriage of the Lamb. And it's this amazing party and feast and festival that is what God has always been pursuing. I think marriage and weddings, we all like them. Like, I love going to a wedding. Uh, thanks for all the invites. Uh, I even, we as a family, and I'm serious, thanks for inviting us. Uh, we even watched the royal wedding a few weeks ago between two people who are never going to be in charge of anything. Uh, but one used to be in suits, I guess. And then the other one is a prince, I guess. But we love that. And it got more ratings than any wedding. is like more powerful than the Super Bowl and all. And everyone is watching it. And actually, a nun uh, that I follow on Twitter... Uh, <laughs> She commented this. It's that pretty amazing. Really yeah, I know. She's, a, she's like an African nun. Anyway. And she's really smart. Uh, she said this, Why does the human heart love a royal wedding? Because our deepest desire is to be presented pure, holy, and spotless before the one who will eternally love us in unending, intimate union. So even as we've talked about marriage so far, and if we've talked about it in, in such a way, hopefully you've desired it and said, I want my marriage to be like that. Not like ours. Right. But like, right. love but that, God. That desire is actually for Christ. It's to have this deep desire to be presented before God, pure and righteous and wonderful and holy, to be presented spotless. And for, for the one on the end of that that uh, long walk, long processional to the groom, for the groom at the end to be giving us unending eternal love and joy, that there would be an intimate unity. And Jesus is that for us. That the thing that we long long for in a marriage is actually Christ himself. And that what God teaches us, for for those of us that, that are married, he's teaching us, not about how to be better people or to be better Christians even, but he's basically just teaching us how to turn to Jesus as the one who actually fulfills and completes us, who is the faithful one. So that whenever we are unfaithful, we get to receive grace. 
And for every time that we find treasure elsewhere, he calls us back in kindness by saying, but I treasure you. Uh, that is, at least to me, the meaning of marriage. And that's eternal and it's powerful. That's also a book. It's also a book, yeah. So even in our marriage, as I shared earlier, my desire as we started to um, figure out pieces of our, the brokenness of our marriage was that I wanted Brad to rescue me. To um, whether our marriage was going really well or we had terrible days, I was always looking at him. Um, and I confess this with brokenness because, one, um, the amount of pressure that puts on Brad is tremendous. It's not his job to rescue me. He will never deliver what my heart longs for. Never, never. And, and I was never satisfied with what he was giving me. Um, and, and that was such a broken cycle in our, in our relationship that um, what really meant was that I was looking at him to be my savior when really my heart was truly longing for, for the love and the acceptance and the affirmation and the belonging and the kindness and the rescuing that Jesus gives for his forgiveness and his redemption in my life. And, and, and by having that from, from Jesus, I can truly love him as a broken human being um, because I know I'm broken and I need a savior. So the truth is, whether we realize it or not, we all long for a savior. We are all wanting somebody to rescue us from ourselves, from something else, from somebody else. And we can look at the people around us and say, or even in our MC, and we can say, oh, finally I found a good friend, and this person will give me all that I've ever wanted in a community. But you will be very disappointed because this person is simply a mirror of the one who really, really rescues you. He, this person is just, it's, it's a gift that can only point you back to the Father. And in the Father, in Him, you will find belonging and love and acceptance and deep friendship and um, rescuing. So Jesus is the only one that our hearts, that can fill our hearts. And, and sometimes these people that we lift very high up, they're, they're counterfeit gods, Right? They, we look at them and we say, they're awesome. What they have to say is amazing. What they did for me is incredible. They love me so well. And, and I think that is worth to be said to the person, but it doesn't end there. The only reason that they can love you well is because of the Father. So let's, let's not take these counterfeit gods and put them in the place of who God is in our lives. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. And yeah, so we can, I think through this uh, teaching and reflecting on the Proverbs, we might come away thinking, well, there's a lot of like, there's a lot that's been done in my heart that's wrong. Like I've been unfaithful and there could be conviction in that, which is uh, probably a good thing. There can also be just this desire to actually love and cherish and seek uh, our spouse as if they are a treasure because they are a treasure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and all of that is really good. And I, I would be so awesome if we 
you know, kept moving forward as a body, uh, pursuing marriage like that. Like that would be uh, countercultural to the nth degree, more countercultural than doing missional communities. If we pursued marriage that way, and if we encouraged one another towards that, we reminded each other, hey, this is what marriage gets to be. Um, but uh, I also want to just say that even if we live this out really well, it's still just a shadow of the real reality of Christ's love for the church and his laying his life down for the church. Anytime I'm a a sort of a good husband, it's simply just a picture of how wonderful and how much more Jesus is than I am. And so uh, while there might be you know, challenge and all of those things. I think Jesus actually invites us this morning uh, to not be spectators of a union with God, but to actually uh, see the bride of the church, or the bride that's the church is central for eternity, but also to see Jesus as this exclusive one that we get to give our whole lives to and also just receive every day. He looks at us like we're on our wedding day, um, which... Yeah, it's fantastic. Good news. It's good. What? You just want me to? Yeah, wrap it up. You want me to? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, so yeah, let's let's go. We're gonna now take communion. We get to take it as a feast. Uh, we can imagine it today as a wedding feast. Uh, it's kind of actually the same substance level of what our wedding reception was like. Uh, so now you can all like imagine like, oh, it was like a little bit of juice, a little bit of bread. Uh, <laughs> But let us come and let us confess. Uh, maybe it's to your spouse, but, but maybe it's to Christ. But let us also just re- receive uh, the joy of, of what Christ has done for us, that we get to be presented as this blameless, beautiful, pure bride uh, that is loved in an unending way. Let's, let's pursue that wedding feast, and, and I'll pray for us as well. Christ, we, we thank you for your mercy. We're so dependent on it. Uh, We're dependent on uh, your interruption of our rebellion. God, I pray for us to to come to you and to enjoy you. Uh, Help us to be faithful. Help us to be committed to treasuring you and your kingdom. Uh, We also need your wisdom in our marriages. Uh, We need your wisdom in how to pursue faithfulness, how to pursue the cherishing. Uh, We need uh, wisdom in honestly how uh, how to walk when things are desperately broken. Uh, We need uh, your wisdom uh, if if it requires separation, if it requires being safer somewhere else. We need your spirit to to highlight in our eyes and to see the truth and the clarity that, that we cannot simply do marriage by rules. And so we need your spirit, God, to instruct us in how to be husbands and how to be wives. And spirit, we too, uh, we also ask that you would bring for us in our minds and in our hearts uh, the understanding that we are your spotless bride, that you love, that you've redeemed, that you've made right and whole. And uh, help us to walk confidently as a church, knowing that we are treasured by you and that you're unendingly faithful to us. It's your name we pray, Jesus, and the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.